welcome to the GoTo Podcast. Each episode covers the brightest and boldest ideas from the world's leading experts in software development. Tune in for practical lessons, compelling theories, and plenty of inspiration. GoTo gathers the brightest minds in the software community to help developers tackle projects today, plan for tomorrow, and create a better future. Stay up to date with the latest in tech through GoTo's top-rated events held online and in person in cities like Amsterdam, London, Copenhagen, and Chicago, and by subscribing to the GoTo Conference's YouTube channel, where you can find thousands more high-quality dev talks. Learn more at gotopia.tech. My name is Preben, and I'm part of the GoTo team. And with me, I have Dean Wampler today. Good morning, Dean. Thanks for getting up so early to join us. Uh, good morning, Preben. That's not that early. So good, good to be here with you today. Thank you. May I ask you maybe to do a very short presentation of yourself? Sure. So uh, Dean Wampler, I uh, work for Domino Data Lab, which is a, a vendor of an integrated suite of tools for data science and ML ops. Um, I've been in the Scala community for over a decade, mostly working in the data science industry one way or the other on either the engineering side or most of the engineering side, but some data science for the last decade or so. So it's kind of a nice intersection of those two areas of interest for me being at Domino right now. Thank you. Yes, and it's no big secret that we've known each other for some years. Um, yes. You're part of the GoTo, the wonderful GoTo community that we have in the Chicago area. Yeah, it's it, this conference here has been great. I, I'll be very happy when it finally goes live again. Really miss it. We are doing our best. <laughs> yeah. When we briefly talked uh, a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned that one of the things that you're really struggling with are spending a lot of men mental energy on is the gap between data science and software development. And that kind of surprised me because I heard the same story three years ago. Does that mean we haven't really come any further? Yeah, I think it's um, it's it's going through a lot of refinement. Like the, the current thinking, for example, is that, you know, the, the DevOps side of the software world has been very successful at solving a lot of problems to make uh, deployments of production software easier, automated, all those things. Maybe we should do something similar on our side our side being the data science side. So um, I think if you look back a few years ago, people were sort of figuring out, all right, here's a model. I don't know how to get it into production. I don't know what to do with it after that. And so they would put it in a container and put it in production and you know, hope for the best and maybe start looking at some metrics to know when the model's performing well and so forth. And now we're getting to that phase of, you know what, we really need a little bit more control, more data governance, uh, more automation, repeatability, so we can do traceability back when problems happen and so forth. So it's a, yeah, it's a, like anything, it's been a process of maturation. Uh, and if you talk, if you go into any typical organization of data scientists and data engineers, they'll be all over the map in terms of maturity in this way too. So a lot of that is happening as well as people learn maybe what they should be doing. So we have actually moved us those past three, five years we're on a journey here. That's what you're saying. Pretty much, yeah. As we all know, nothing happens overnight. No, that's true. No, and how long did it take before we finally got to melt dev and ops together? I think that right. was that was a journey too, definitely. 
That was, and it took something like cloud services, for, you know, in very generic terms, organizations like Netflix, Google, and so forth, who realized, you know, we're never going to have downtime. We have to figure out how to do this stuff live, you know, deploying new things, keeping the site up and running. And once they figured all that, that out, then they found out, you know what, we don't have to do these big bang deployments anymore. We can do things incrementally. Uh, you know, very with very little impact uh, to end users, uh, except in good good ways, uh, new features. So I think that's where the data science world is is coming into. One interesting di- well, there's several differences. The one I'll just mention offhand is you don't necessarily deploy models over and over again really fast like you might for some applications. Say daily, uh, you typically leave a model running for a while until it's clear that it needs to be updated or something. But nevertheless, a lot of the same challenges uh, exist in the data world, plus some new ones. Help me, I don't really see how that can be a challenge. So you let the model run to gather experience, or if you train the model in production or whatever, for some time. And then at some point you, well, maybe you train it in a test system, I don't know. Then you deploy it to production at some time when you feel it's mature. How is that different from testing your software over a period and then move it to production? Yeah, so there's certainly analogies that people are exploiting. Uh, you, you mentioned something that's kind of an interesting sort of smaller trend, and that is should we train in production or maybe have a, tr- a production-level pipeline, uh, which is fully automated in the usual way that we build software now? Or should we let data scientists continue to build models sort of incrementally, iteratively in their experimental environments? And then we take that artifact, you know, like check it into version control of some kind and deploy that, you know, right away. In which case, it's it feels a little bit more like how we do software. Well, I think we're going to get to the point where most, at least larger organizations will decide, you know what, if we deploy a model, it's it's exactly the same thing as this software works in my machine. Why isn't it running in production? We really actually need for uh, to get to a, a maturity level where data scientists, you know, figure out the model structure, like so-called hyperparameters, uh, using some sort of representative data to determine this seems like a good model, and then let an automated pipeline actually build the, the deployable model itself. Uh, there's some other advantages to that. You can verify, you know, that. Um, you're running, you're, you're training at scale, whereas a data scientist might be using a more a smaller data set for performance reasons. If you have data governance concerns about who has access to certain data, you can hide that completely behind your, uh, you know, uh, your pipeline of, of training. Uh, there's a bunch of uh, reasons like that, but mostly it's the repeatability, the traceability aspects where I, when I put a model in production, I want to know exactly how it was built, what data was used to train it. Um, and then be able to trace back if it's if it's problematic, and I you know have a full suite of traceability uh, artifacts that I can use to understand, or hopefully understand why it failed. So and yeah, a lot, I think this is important. There's a lot of analogies that we can leverage in DevOps, a lot of tooling we can leverage, but there are some unique aspects, and there's a, a maturation process that people are figuring out what should be automated versus what is still okay to sort of like hand build. The real problem here is that that machine learning is to some extent a black box. You don't really <laughs> yeah. know all, all the details inside of it. Well, that's certainly uh, one of the big uh, 
areas of research and uh, sort of technological innovation that's going on, so-called explainability. And this is especially problematic for very complex systems like neural networks. And it's actually an argument why a lot of people will still rely on simpler mechanisms, you know, uh, sort of more classic machine learning where it's easier to understand what's going on uh, if it's good enough for their purposes. So you see that tension a lot where people, you know, they see neural networks as this new, amazing, shiny thing and they want to use it, but then they run into this problem of how do I really understand what the model is doing? Why did it say that person shouldn't get a credit card or that tumor uh, was missed or whatever in an x-ray? So there's still a lot of those kind of things that need to be sorted out and are being sorted out for the more sophisticated approaches. And the other reason for sticking with simpler models in a lot of cases is it's computationally easier to work with, easier to train, easier to score at runtime. So there, there's still a lot of tension there about you know, optimal choices of model types and, uh, and so forth. We're on a journey here. Uh, which, which tools do we have that can help us? Yeah, that's, a, that's another area where you're seeing some maturation happening in the industry. There are, for example, one of, my, uh, one of the things I think most interesting right now is the notion of a feature store, which is emerging as kind of a boundary between the data science process of ingesting data that can be in all kinds of states of quality and formats, transforming it into so-called features. Really, they're just columns with maybe more metadata attached to them. Uh, and then uh, effectively like a database, really. And then that feature store is what is used to do model training, uh, both for experimentation as well as uh, production, and even in some cases actually serving the data. So if I have a raw stream of data coming in, I might pass it through this transformation process put it in a feature store, and then let that be what is used by the production scoring system. So things like that are ways in which people are figuring out where are good boundaries between these different roles and responsibilities, uh, what tools kind of best fit the needs on both ends uh, of that spectrum, the producers as well as consumers. Uh, so that's one of the interesting ones, I think, for just the, the sort of low-level pragmatics, if you will, of turning... Um, um, data science and data engineering into ML ops or you know, whatever uh, term you want to use. As far as some of these issues like explainability and so forth, there have been some interesting tools developed where people are learning how to you know, analyze the impact of data changes or feature changes, if you want to use that term, and how they impact the, the scoring of the model, how they impact training you know, one of the advantages there is figuring out what features actually matter so that, you know, if I can cut back to, you know, say 100 features versus 1,000, that's a huge energy savings and performance benefit. So there's a lot of tooling like that where sort of industry and academic research is starting to attack some of these more sophisticated problems and then figure out how we can uh, leverage that technology to, uh, to let us use things like neural networks with more confidence. For a moment, I was hoping that you would mention the go-to conferences as one of those tools. Well, actually, no, it's a really good point because things are moving so fast, it's really hard for most people to keep up with what's actually uh, interesting or what actually is showing promise. Uh, I try to keep up with some of the research papers, and it's just kind of hopeless for me. Uh, but, but yeah, I think that is really the, the benefit of conferences like GoTo for me is that you can come together and not only learn what experts in your specialty are focused on and what they're figuring out, but also uh, kind of figure out what other people are doing. And sometimes that sort of cross-pollination is hugely valuable. It's really tempting to just go to conferences that are narrowly focused 
uh, on your specialty or interests. And they're, they're good. I don't want to uh, denigrate them in any way. But I often find that some sort of like um, you know, light bulb moment happens when I go to a talk that's completely outside my area of specialty and hear what people are thinking about in, in their context. So I think to me, that's, that's always been one of the great things about GoTo is just the caliber of the sessions and the tracks in general, but also the cross-pollination that's possible. I think you're right. Now, this should not turn into a, a big commercial for the GOATS conferences. That It actually was meant as a joke, but I think you're right because um, I suppose like with everything else, you need to find the flavor and the way that works for your company and for your culture. So there's no one size fits all here. So one yeah. of the best things you can do is actually to hear what worked and what didn't for all yeah. organizations, for all the teams. Yeah, and if I'm a data scientist, I kind of need to learn more about how to manage projects. So, you know, that's something that we've gotten very good at in software, well, at least in theory. If you walk into in most organizations, they still struggle. But uh, but that's the sort of thing now where you see this cross-pollination. Data scientists need to learn more about the engineering cultures that have been maturing, like DevOps, like you know, agile methods. And similarly, data scientists are, are, sorry, data engineers need to kind of understand data better than maybe they did 10, 20 years ago. You see, that's another point because maybe the way we teach software development, software engineers, maybe we should realize that they have a new um, persona that they should work. It's not just the customer. It's not just ops it's not just whatever now there's an, a new type of persona in the picture too yes you know and when you said that too it reminded me that software itself is evolving you know, there's been a lot of interesting stuff uh, said and now starting to materialize for actually using machine learning to accelerate software development you know like using um uh, google's uh, sorry uh, github's code space i think it's called where it actually will yeah. su suggest code for you uh, which hopefully yes. will go beyond just like cut and paste patterns or whatever. So I think it's uh, it really is true that you, you can't just sit still. Uh, if you're going to get the, the most productivity out of your organization as a whole, you really have to understand where other people are and, and what their problems are and how the world is changing what matters to you, like data being becoming even more important than it was in the past. Yeah, which, by the way, GitHub's new initiative it is definitely fascinating, but it is a little bit scary too, isn't it? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah, it's almost like Stack Overflow being automated. You know, that old joke that we just spend our days Googling stuff on Stack Overflow. Yes. But, uh, yeah, I, I, um, and even the way we learn has changed a lot. I mean, I remember, you know, we're, times in the way past, like uh, you know, pre-internet, actually, when I would very carefully... Uh, you know, record information like I found this algorithm or I'd buy all these books. And uh, now it's much easier to find things when you, you have questions like, how do I do something? But you also have to be a savvy consumer because there's so much, as in yeah. life in general, so much useful and not useful information out there. That's amazing. Let's pick it up at some hopefully soon in-person conference somewhere. Thanks a lot for joining me today. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, good talking with you, Dave. Thanks for listening to this episode of the GoTo Podcast. Head over to gotopia.tech to discover lots more content from the brightest minds in software development.